greetings and welcome to another installment of Grasping Scripture. Today we're going to tackle the book of Philemon. Now, I know I said the book, usually we tackle a chapter, but Philemon is a short book of scripture, a mere, say, 25 verses and only one chapter. So today we'll be looking at this unusual book. It's a personal letter written by Paul to Philemon about what seems to be a runaway slave that uh, Paul has now led the faith in Christ and is sending back to Philemon with this letter. There's a lot to unpack there. So we'll begin that unpacking process in just a few minutes or moments as it may be. Let's go ahead and turn to the Lord in prayer before we dig into the book of Philemon together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. You have blessed us. You have blessed us with all that we have. And you have blessed us with all that we are. And Lord, you have given us your word. Your word in the flesh, Christ. Who paid the price for our sin. Who made it possible for us to have right relationship with you. And the promise of eternity. And Lord, we thank you for that awesome gift. And Father, you have given us your word, the scriptures, that we may know Christ, that we may know you and your desires for us. Now, Father, as we study your word, even in this book that is so unlike many other parts of scripture, Father, even as we study it, open our eyes. Help us to see what you would have for us there. What you are calling us to in obedience to you. And help us to see more and more of your grace. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin looking at the book of Philemon, just a little background and explanation. You may notice in the order of these podcasts, this is falling right after Colossians. And there's a reason for that. Uh, indications are that Philemon, that, wow, tripping over the name already, that Philemon most likely lived in Colossae, that this all relates. Paul is writing this letter pretty much the same time he's writing the letter to the Colossian church, and it is going back with Onesimus and the letter to the Colossian church. So it, it all ties together, and that means this was written probably between 60 and 62 with Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Now, there are a few things we are assuming, um, given the culture, the nature of Greco-Roman society in that day, there are some things that can enlighten us as to what is happening in this book and really the significance of what it means. But one of the things I feel that is really necessary for us to step back and look at, you will notice in this book, Paul does not confront the issue of slavery as a society, if you will. But instead, Paul began to reframe the Christian's view of the world. And what I mean by that is he calls on Philemon to act as a Christian and to treat Onesimus out of that framework and for Onesimus to behave out of that framework 
that their personal relationship with each other has now changed dramatically due to Christ. Their social standing and position in society may not have changed, but who they were to each other changed drastically. I think there's something there for us. And of course, this book and others lay the seeds, uh, you know, not calling for social reform and, and the abolition of slavery, but we see in the centuries that follow, those seeds were planted in the New Testament. And although they didn't radically change the Greco-Roman Empire at that point, uh, they did radically change our world over the centuries that followed. Well, let's dig in as we look at this first and only chapter of Philemon. It follows the structure of Paul writing a normal letter. It has its traditional greeting and and uh, expression of prayer and thanksgiving at the beginning, and then it has the, the body of the letter, and then it has that conclusion at the end that we expect to see in, in any of Paul's letters, and in fact, we see in all of Paul's letters. So, Let's look at what he says. It begins this way. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner, for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Abphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Right there, we have found something out about Philemon. There is a body of believers that gathers to meet in his house. That's uh, that's pretty significant. Philemon isn't just some dude. Philemon is one of the hosts of the early church, and the implication there is he, he may have had some leadership in that early congregation, that early church at, at Colossae. We, we don't know a whole lot, but there are hints here. So we'll pick up on those. Well, he goes on and says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now that's a standard thing Paul says, but understand, just because it's standard doesn't mean it's given in any sort of a flippant fashion. It's it's intended from the heart. Paul is genuinely lifting them up and asking that God would bless them with grace and with peace. And then he moves into that, that thanksgiving and prayer. He says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. In other words, whenever I'm lifting you in prayer, I am thankful to God. Why? Verse 5. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. 
So there, Paul's expressing his thanks. He's he's mentioning that he lifts up Philemon in prayer and saying, look, you know, what you do, your joy and comfort that you give to other believers, your love, your all of these things, even though Paul hasn't received them directly, he has seen evidence of them being delivered to others. And so he is thankful for Philemon. Now, some would read this and go, yeah, but he's about to ask for something, so he's buttering him up. I don't think so. I think Paul is being genuine here. He is appealing to Philemon's better qualities and and encouraging the things that are godly in Philemon. Now, I'm not implying that, you know, he's got a dark side and that you know, no, we don't know enough about him. We just know that Paul is addressing who this man is. He is a leader in the church. He is a good man. He is a loving man. He is an encouraging man. Now, some may look at that and go, but wait, we're about to deal with the issue of slavery. He owns slaves. He must be evil. Understand, in that day and age, pretty much you either were a slave or you owned a slave. That was society. It was foundational to the Greco-Roman society. And yeah, it was awful but it wasn't always an awful situation for the individual. If you were part of a group of people that Rome went to war against and they took you as a captive, you became a slave. It is awful that you lost, that that you were stripped away from your home and your possessions, but many were executed. And sometimes you wound up in a home where people cared about you. Yes, you served in that home, but understand it was the nature of the society. And that's not excusing it. It's saying sometimes we view history out of our modern context and we don't understand. Because in fact, we don't understand. We aren't living in the first century Roman world. So we don't get it. But we do need to step back and view it through the lens of history and not the lens of today. And Paul is writing to this individual who is a Christian leader in Colossae. Part of the church meets in his home and appealing to who he is in this relationship. Now, as Paul continues on in the eighth verse, he begins his appeal if you will. He picks up by saying, that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. Now he said all this laying out who he understands Philemon to be and who who Philemon is in Christ. Now he's, that's why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because Well, it's the right thing for you to do. In other words, he could be handy, heavy-handed with it, but he isn't being. He's just boldly asking. Verse 9, But because of your love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus, 
You may be going, wait, 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 my child Onesimus? Yeah. He goes on. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Whoa, we just learned volumes about Onesimus. We don't know his history, but we know that before coming to know Paul in prison, Onesimus didn't know Christ either. And Paul was able to lead Onesimus to that saving faith in Christ, that faith that changes everything. So did Onesimus' situation change? No. Who Onesimus was changed. His eternity changed. Who he is standing before God changed. And as Paul's about to make the case, who he is in relation to Philemon changed. So again, I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. In other words, to do that would be to presume. To say, I'm going to keep him here to help me. It's, you know, to do that would just be assuming that that's what you would do and that's not right. So I'm sending him back with this very letter. Because I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. You see, it's important not just that we do the right thing, but that we do the right thing for the right reason, with the right heart. And Paul knew he had control of the situation here. He was the apostle. Philemon was, was a leader in the church. He's going to consent to what the apostle says he's going to do. But Paul didn't want to use that authority in that fashion. Instead, he wanted to say, look, Philemon, here, I understand who you are. We see evidence of it and how you treat the people around you. Now, I've encountered Onesimus, and here is what, here's what's happened. And now I'm sending him back to you, and here's what I would like. But it's your call. As you are following the Lord, how are you going to respond? He puts the ball in Philemon's court, if you will. Pretty confident of how Philemon's going to respond, but still, he's not going to take that decision away from Philemon. He's not going to use heavy-handed authority. He's going to be gracious in doing it. He says, I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Now again, there's so much we don't know going on here. 
We don't know the background. We don't know the history. But the assumption is and has been for, well, better part of 2,000 years, Onesimus was, in fact, Philemon's slave, and he ran away. Now, understand, the penalty for running away, if a runaway slave were caught, Roman law said they had to be returned to their owner, and the owner could beat them. The owner could punish them in numerous ways. Uh, in fact, even to the point of branding them, the owner could, in fact, execute them all of these things to be done as an example to the other slaves so that they would not think of running away or they would understand the dire consequences if they did. Now, again, go back and read some history. Find out how institutionally important slavery was to maintaining order in the Roman society. They could not afford for the slaves to rebel, to to run away en masse. So they had some pretty strict guidances there. Philemon had the opportunity to exercise any of those on Onesimus upon his return. And Paul is just confident that's not going to happen. And he's saying to him, look, he left you a slave. And, you know, he wasn't much use as one either. But he is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother. He's moved from being a servant in your household to being a brother in Christ. It says, now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So in the position of a man in your service, he's going to be worth so much more. Because he's coming with a new attitude. He is a new creation. But not only that, your brother's in Christ. And that means something. Now Paul begins to really appeal to him in verse 7, or 17, I mean. He says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Wow, no pressure there. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Now, wronged you or owed you anything. It was not uncommon if a slave were to run away for them to steal some of their master's property. They need resources to get away. Uh, so the implication here is, and the assumption is, that Onesimus probably, when he fled the household, took some stuff with him probably took some valuable stuff with him. So there would have been a debt, literally, uh, that was owed there. So if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul is saying, look, whatever was on his head, count it as being on my head instead. Now, is that going to change the way Philemon approaches this? Well, maybe, or it may just remind him. Because there's a hint behind all of that of who we are in Christ the price that was on our head, the debt that we owed, that sin debt, that could only be paid by death, that debt was on Christ's head on our behalf. And here Paul is stepping in and saying essentially the same thing. Whatever debt he owes, put it on me. Put it on me. Verse 19, he says, I, Paul, Write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. He's going, look, the fact that I am responsible for you knowing Christ and therefore having eternal life, you know, we're not going to bring that up. Oh, just did, though. Yeah, Paul is leaning pretty heavy on Philemon here to assure that he does the right thing. You might say, but isn't that the same as making him do it? No, it's exerting influence on him to do it. It's not making him do it. He can still choose to go, nope, appreciate your opinion, Paul, but no. You know, but he doesn't do that, or indications are he doesn't do that. Well, the letter goes on in verse 20. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident that as I write this letter, that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. In other words, uh, not necessarily return to Colossae because he's, by all indications, Paul didn't go to Colossae, but at least return to the area of Ephesus. This is some 100 to 120 miles east of there. Um, it may be that he's hoping he can go back to the area of Ephesus and then get to visit Colossae. But he's saying, look, you know, prepare a guest room for me. I hope to be there. I hope God's going to honor that prayer and I'm going to be able to come check in on you. Now, does that add a layer to things? Well, sure it does. When he's just said, hey, here's, here's what Onesimus means to me. Here's what I hope you will do, but I'm not going to tell you to. I'm going to say it's, it's your choice. Oh, and by the way, and if he owes you anything or owes any debt, put it on me. And I'm praying that I'm going to get to come there. Um, all of this is setting things up to, to really make it clear what Onesimus means to Paul and what he means in the kingdom. Now, we're not quite done yet. We've got a few more verses, but a little bit of history. We don't know what happened after this. We don't know how Philemon responded. We don't know for sure what became of Onesimus. But we do have a hint. Church history, some, I believe it's some 50 years after this point, would have put it about 110 AD. There's a letter written by the man who had become a Christian martyr. Um, I believe it was Ignatius. He wrote a letter to the bishop of the churches of, um, well, that area of Asia Minor that included Ephesus and Colossae and, and all these other cities out there. In other words, the, the minister, the leader of the church that wound up being a regional leader, not just a leader in, in that city. And interestingly enough, his name is Onesimus. And many think it's the same Onesimus that not only did Philemon wind up freeing him, but Onesimus went on to lead all the churches in that area. Now, those are just hints from history. It may be it's another Onesimus. I don't know how common the name was, but scholars, church historians have indicated there's the potential 
that it's the same guy. But the truth is, we just don't know. We don't know what happened to these guys. But we know what God was speaking through Paul. We know that there is this powerful reminder that it doesn't matter who we were. It matters who we are in Christ. That it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't even matter right now what our social standing or our economic standing or our ethnic makeup is or any of that. When we relate to each other, both knowing Christ as Savior and Lord, then we relate as brothers in Christ. That's the mandate. That's what it has to be. And even if you have Philemon in authority and Onesimus under his authority, that's their social standing. That's what the world sees when it looks at them. But when Philemon and Onesimus look at each other, they should see a fellow brother in Christ standing on equal ground. And folks, that's who we should be as believers today. In our churches, in our work life, in our home life, in our circle of friends, whatever our situation in this world, whatever social standing we find ourselves in, and I realize that as I I sit here in South Central Texas talking, I'm thinking of, of social constructs that are around here, but understanding that you may be anywhere in the world listening to this, and you may say, yeah, but what about, I don't know your individual situation, but I know that when we are called to Christ's kingdom, when we come to know him as Savior and Lord and everything changes, that our relationships with each other change. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what you know, have, or don't know, or don't have. We are brothers or brothers and sisters in Christ. And that matters more than any of that other stuff. The world sees only the other stuff. But the reality is the kingdom of God. And we as believers need to hear that reminder all too often. We draw those boundaries and we build those walls and we isolate and we divide as the body of Christ. And that is not what we are called to. That is not who we are. And that's not what our Father does. Much like Paul, we need to be willing to step up and say, hey, if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will take his burden on me. Are we willing to do that for each other in the kingdom? It's a challenge, but it's what we're called to. Now, as we finish out Paul's letter to Philemon, we get to his final greeting, his closing of the letter. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, 
sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's the end of the book. It is a blessing, again, much like he prayed at the first part of the book, that God's grace and peace would be upon him. Now he's praying that God's grace, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with his spirit. And he lists off these fellows, and I'm not going to go into detail on them. I'm just going to refer you back to the end of the podcast on the last chapter of Colossians. Same group of guys. And there's more background over there. Because remember, Paul is writing this at the same time. It is being sent with the same messengers. So it all ties together. But there is the end. These fellow prisoners of Christ Jesus. Were these guys actually locked up? Well, probably not. Probably they were there to take care of Paul and they weren't going to leave him. So they were functionally imprisoned just like he was. But they are his fellow prisoners and his co-workers. What is Paul calling Philemon to do? He's calling him to live out his faith and not just live out the norms of his culture. Because the norms of his culture would have meant that should Onesimus return or be captured and forced to go back, that he would be beaten, branded, executed. But instead, Paul is calling on Philemon to take him back as a brother in Christ. That their relationship has changed and changed in a fundamental and eternal way. That Onesimus now serves not Paul, not Philemon, but Christ. I love looking at this book. It's, it's so short, it's so simple, but to think of it in terms of how did all this fit with Philemon? You know, put yourself in Philemon's shoes. What did all this mean? Then put yourself in Onesimus's shoes. Onesimus, who was supposed to carry this letter back to Philemon, trusting, trusting in Philemon's relationship with Christ, trusting in God that he's in charge of this, trusting Paul because Paul said he needed to go back with this letter. And yet, why do we have this letter? Because Philemon carried it back. Or because Onesimus carried it back to Philemon. That's how we have this letter. And it was such a profound letter that it made it into the canon of Scripture. That the early church was passing around copies of this letter and found it to be edifying, found it to be something that spoke to the church that resonated with the teachings of Christ, that became evident to be the inspired word of God. That's pretty powerful for a mere 25 verses that are really a personal letter written from the Apostle Paul to 
to a guy named Philemon who was a leader in the church at Colossae about a runaway slave named Onesimus. Yet there's so much for us there. Spend some time contemplating. I can speak today. Spend some time contemplating the book of Philemon and prayerfully asking God how each one of us needs to change, how you need to change, how I need to change, so that we reflect more the kingdom of God and less the kingdom of this world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have called us your own, that you have made us part of a kingdom that is so much greater and so much more vast. Father, a kingdom that is eternal, a kingdom that is yours. Not just that we are part of the kingdom, but you have called us your heirs, your children in that kingdom. Father, we thank you for that. And as we live out our lives here in this place, for this duration of time that you have set us on this planet, Father, I pray that you will help us to surrender to your spirit, to your will, that we would live in line with your kingdom, its priorities, its values, its purpose, and that we would live less and less aligned with the kingdom of this world, with this culture that is around us, that when we look at each other, we would see each other as brother and sister in Christ if we are of the redeemed, and that we would treat each other in accordance with that reality. Father, I thank you for Christ, that he took my debt upon himself and paid it, that I may be made right with you. Father, that he did that for the sins of the world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.